This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Ripple Effect. Today, I have with me Paige Byron-Curry, who is the Executive Director of the Astoria Park Conservancy. And the reason I wanted to have Paige on the uh, show today is because we've talked a lot about water from a development perspective. We've talked about water from like a scientific, you know, climate perspective. You know, we talk a lot about water management and water utilities and water financing. But in reflecting on the show to date, I really hadn't had an episode about kind of like what water means to us as a community and what water means to us as a people. And considering the turbulent times that we as a country are in in the moment, you know, I thought it'd be really nice to just take a moment and kind of reflect about the human side of water. And I could not think of a better person to do that than my dear friend, Paige Byron Curry. And so with that, I would love to just kind of like start in and um, have Paige give us a little bit of a background of kind of uh, your, well, Paige, I'd like you to give us a little bit of a background about kind of what your um, education is, kind of how you got, you became associated with the Astoria Park Conservancy. And then I'd like us to talk a little bit about kind of like what Astoria is and um, kind of the cool, many, many cool projects you have going on right now. Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me. I am working currently as the executive director, as Emily said. Uh, Astoria Park Conservancy is a nonprofit that is run out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is my hometown. Um, And I came to this job in a bit of a roundabout way. Um, I have a background and an education actually in sociology and studio art. Um, I have a bachelor's degree from Hamilton College, which is a very small school in upstate New York. I minored in environmental studies there and did a lot of um, outdoor leadership uh, activities through their outing club and a program, an orientation program for freshmen where we would take them on outdoor trips in the Adirondacks. So certainly the outdoors have always been a central part of my identity and um, and likewise giving back to the community has always been a central part of my career. Uh, following my time at Hamilton, I worked in Nashville, Tennessee as the development director and campaign director for Nashville Children's Theater where I ran a $6 million capital campaign to rebuild the oldest children's theater in America. Um, And after that project finished, I ended up moving home to Jackson and spent some time teaching um, at a science school here that was a place-based education um, community school. And following that, worked for a startup organization called Jackson Hole Children's Museum, where we started a nonprofit children's museum locally, which also included elements of Um, starting a nonprofit and fundraising to create a museum um, in downtown Jackson. So I have always been in 
sort of this in-between space of education and conservation. And my job, my jobs have mostly focused on um, community development and fundraising work. Most recently, prior to working at Astoria, I was working for Grand Teton National Park Foundation as their director of special gifts. So I worked to support uh, projects to enhance visitor experiences in Grand Teton National Park. And that was a very traditional fundraising job um, and really gave me the skill set to be able to um, walk into Astoria and have some background in a conservation project, which ultimately uh, the protection of 100 acres with two miles of uh, river frontage on the Snake River uh, at Astoria has been fundamentally a conservation project with this layer of community access on top of it. So I started at Astoria in 2015. Um, the project to rebuild Astoria Hot Springs actually began prior to my arrival on the scene. There actually, Paige, a, if I could, let's, yeah. let's give the, for the readers who are not familiar, before we kind sure. of get into the project of rebuilding Astoria, because that's yeah. really why I wanted to have you here, because it's such a cool space. Could you kind of give, because a lot of our listening audience is um, primarily Utah, we're growing into the Intermountain West a little bit more as well. But for those who are new or don't know the area, can you give us just kind of like a little nutshell about like what Astoria is and kind of like sure. what, you know, its history and kind of, and then we can kind of talk about the contemporary activities. Yes, absolutely. So um, Astoria Hot Springs, uh, the use of Astoria Hot Springs has actually been traced back to the Native American times in the Jackson Hole Valley. Um, Astoria is an area of land right on the Snake River just south of Hoback Junction, and there are natural mineral hot springs that exist as they do in many places all over the West. And they've been used in all different ways you know, really a very sacred spot to the Native American culture. And then more recently was a central gathering place for the Jackson Hole community. So in the early 1900s, um, the property was owned by a family, a homesteading family here called the Go family. And that was um, when they owned the property, there was an informal hot springs pool that existed. And we heard many stories from people about how even back then high school reunions were held here and it was a place where the community would come together in the summertime to take a break from ranching or whatever they were doing and relax together in the mineral water um, and especially people that were also river users so people that were floating down the river and they would stop and then relax in the mineral water. Um, in the 1950s the property was purchased by the Porter family and developed as a formal hot springs resort. And there was a full-size swimming pool with a diving board built as well as a small children's pool and a bathhouse. Um, there was camping on site and pack trips and fishing trips and all sorts of other things that were launched from Astoria. And that was really the I would say the sort of retro heyday of Astoria Hot Springs. Um, it was the first swimming pool in Jackson Hole. So um, it was where, when we were growing up, we all learned how to swim there. And it was the place that we would come again in the summer to celebrate all sorts of different occasions, whether it was family picnics or birthday parties or high school reunions. 
and it was really central to the cultural fabric of the community. And then in the late 1990s, the Porter family, the Gill family sold the Hot Springs land and the development was closed off to the community. So the public, they ripped out the swimming pool and the public was no longer allowed to visit Astoria. And it was this very contentious um, time for Astoria in our community. There were multiple conservation groups that fought the new plan development, which included over 200,000 square feet of, of development on the 100-acre parcel, a four-story private lodge and spa, 26 single-family homes, and 44 condos all along the Snake River. And there were many groups that fought uh, through federal court, actually, to try and stop that development and protect the land. And they unfortunately all lost that mm -hmm. fight. So for the last 20 years, the community has really mourned the loss of Astoria. And I think for the good portion of that, there was always a feeling that we would never be able to bring it back, that it was lost forever. And wasn't and, it too, some of the development got waylaid kind of because of the 2008 economic crisis as well. So, yes. so, so pretty much what thwarted the development ultimately was market forces. Yes. So market forces prior to 2008, the original developer actually went through a bankruptcy um, in the early 2000s. And then the second developer who had purchased it out of bankruptcy also went through bankruptcy right out of the 2008 downturn. And notably, a couple of things happened in the interim that were actually quite useful to us. So for example, all of the water and sewer and road infrastructure that we now use for visitor services at the park were developed as part of the second developer's um, you know, a commitment to the land and the project. And so there was about $40 million of infrastructure put in um, in the development prior to our project beginning. Awesome. Um, which is a great segue into talking about how the project developed. And before we get there, though, I just want the listeners to know that Paige and I are long, long, lifelong friends. And I, too, was a child of Astoria. And that's part <laughs> of one of the reasons why I wanted to have Paige on, because it just, you know, in these times of COVID, where we're not around our friend, fan, friends and family as much, and, you know, we, we've seen a lot of political discord, like the soothing balm of this place is real and magic. And I really felt that it would just be like a really good chance to kind of talk about something positive and encouraging and take a different perspective on water than we've talked about before. So that's, you know, it's full disclosure. I love this place and I'm so excited to go. And so on that front, will you please tell us about what you've got going on now? Yes. So the short story of our project is that for about eight years, our partner organization called the Trust for Public Land worked to rezone and protect the 100-acre property. Um, in that effort, there were a few notable things that happened. We were able to decrease the development uh, footprint significantly so that the only built development on the parkland is around the hot springs, which is about four acres of the 100 acres, and potentially one other building on the park that would be eventually used for community programming. We also protected public access to the entire park for future generations. So there's never going to be an opportunity in the future for a private developer to come in and close access to the public from Astoria ever again, which was a big milestone uh, achieved in 2015. So, And did you do that through a conservation easement? Did you put the land under conservation we did, easement? 
there is um, part of the land is under conservation easement. We actually did it through a rezoning process. So hmm. um, it was one of the most complicated rezoning processes that had ever gone through Teton County, which is saying a lot because Teton County has quite a lot of uh, complicated development projects in in here. Um, and the county commissioners eventually won an award from the state of Wyoming for this specific project because it was so complex and had so many different layers. It required us to have six different amendments to the um, to the rezoning uh, application that all had to pass through the county commission at the same time and any one of them failed then the project would fall apart. So hmm. it was quite significant and and really the way that we protected public access was by rezoning the majority of the land from resort zoning which is what it had previously been to park zoning, which means that it can only ever be owned by a nonprofit or a government agency and that public access has to be um, has to be granted in perpetuity. Yeah, and to give the listeners a little bit of a, of, a, of a background too, the park that Paige is talking about, it's a hundred acre parcel kind of on this like marquee bend of the Snake River kind of, you know, a prime fishing territory as you're kind of winding through the Snake River, it, it, right, the Snake River Range opens up right where um, this section is, prime bald eagle habitat, really pristine land. I mean, when you think about kind of like Teton County and its beauty, this is a, a, a gem of a piece a property for that. It also has really important migration um, corridors for ungulates, so elk migration and deer migration, um, and specifically because so much of the parkland is geothermally affected, the habitat stays snow-free for significantly longer throughout the year, so it's really a hot spot for wildlife in Teton County. So for example, we have over 90 species of birds that either migrate through the land or uh, nest here on our land. So when you think about the, the projects worth protecting in Teton County, of course, there's so many beautiful landscapes to protect. But between the fact that this has two miles of river frontage on the wild and scenic river, as well as this important uh, wildlife habitat, it really was a conservation project fundamentally. Um, to make sure that this development that had originally been planned for this sensitive landscape would be done in a more thoughtful way and that we can introduce the education of riparian habitat and the importance of river stewardship to a whole new generation of uh, residents in Teton County through experiences at the park. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well then, I, that's a great, great kind of talk through about kind of what the broader, broader look of the park and the broader feel and the broader impact of the park is. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the redevelopment of the hot springs and kind of how sure. you approach that and kind of what the, the thinking was in first one attempting to, to redo the hot springs and then once you had an idea that this is what the project was going to be, uh, what kind of design features did you take into mind like mm -hmm. what was your kind of like guiding vision for kind of getting this you know was at one point in time. If I remember correctly, a very, very square concrete pool. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, transition to something that's kind of a little bit more appropriate for the landscape and welcoming yeah. the community. So we, with the Trust for Public Land, we started a community design process in 2016. So essentially, once the rezoning was approved, we knew we could move forward with the project and we jumped right into a, a very broad reaching community design process. And this is a hallmark of most Trust for Public Land projects around the country, but something that was also personally really meaningful to me um, 
as somebody who has put community development and organization, um, you know, first in most of my jobs here in Jackson Hole. So what that looked like was over about a year and a half, we engaged over 2000 residents in helping us design what the hot springs and, and larger park would look like. So instead of us saying, this is what we think it will look like, we went out into the community and worked within the school systems and engaged disenfranchised voices like the Latino community here locally and senior citizens here who maybe are ignored in other community projects. Um, but we knew people that would be using the hot springs and we had them down on site for different creative uh, design activities and also did activities in, in places that they frequented. Like one example of that is there's a Sunday soccer league here that is very central to the Latino culture in Jackson Hole. And so we would set up our design tent at the Sunday Soccer League um, and ask them for their feedback about what they wanted the park to look like or what areas of the park would be most exciting to them. And that was for the whole 100 acre park, but more specifically for the Hot Springs development, which was our phase one development of Astoria. So we worked with a design company out of Colorado and Bozeman called DHM Designs. They've designed a number of other hot springs projects at this point, some of which have been also public hot springs projects. So in Ure, Colorado, they had just finished a multi-million dollar remodel of the Ure Hot Springs, which functions as that community's like recreation center mm -hmm. and is tax funded. And so they had this really lovely way of understanding what a public hot springs facility needed to look like. And they were really quite magical at being able to take this diverse feedback that we got from everybody in the community and somehow translate it into a landscape design and architectural design for the hot springs facilities. And then so, what does that look like? Since obviously we're audio, yeah, people can't see yeah, things. Yeah, sure. So describe the what it looks is, like from a, yeah. <laughs> the result is that the four acres where the hot springs is located is right on the bench of the Snake River and it sits about 30 feet above the river. So there's some real elevation and we did quite a lot of earthwork on this site so that almost every hot springs pool, we have five different hot springs pools and almost all of them have uh, views of the Snake River, which was something that everybody remembered from the previous hot springs. Some other elements that came into our uh, design based on community feedback were things like when Astoria existed before, as Emily um, mentioned, it was a large rectangular concrete pool and a small kiddie pool. And while there was still a big contingent of the community that wanted that bigger family swimming style pool, there was also a, a really large contingent of our community that wanted something that would be more set into the environment, smaller pools that were tucked into the landscape that could be hotter and with an intention that it would be for adults to relax and rejuvenate without necessarily splashing kids all around them. So when we designed our pool, we split the pools into five separate pools. We have one large leisure pool, which is approximately the same size as the old Astoria pool and a little bit lower in temperature designed for that family demographic. And then we have a smaller kiddie pool, a children's pool that's also a little lower in temperature at its deepest point is two feet deep. And then we have 
three smaller hotter soaking pools that range in temperature from 101 to 106 degrees and those are all really set into the, the natural environment. And once the landscaping develops over the next com coming years, um, the landscaping will really make them feel like they're their own secluded little experiences. So that was really important to our community and we were able to provide both of those experiences at the hot springs. The other thing we heard a lot from our community and Emily, you probably remember this from growing up at Astoria is People had quite a few memories at Astoria that weren't, weren't actually memories in the hot springs. They were memories of birthday parties and picnics and experiences that happened um, near the hot springs, but out of water. And so I remember we were... the large teeter-totters. That's what I remember. Yes. The there were these <laughs> massive teeter-totters that were definitely yes. heavy and definitely metal. And now that I look back at that with my lawyer brain, all I can think of is liability. <laughs> but at the time, they were yes. fantastic. <laughs> yes. So we, in fact, brought back the teeter-totter and yes. we have it in a very small children's playground area. Um, it is a much more safe version of it, <laughs> um, <laughs> as well as a few other small play features in a small playground. We also have a, a couple of picnic lawns. We have an area where you can come and hang your hammock and relax and read a book. Um, we have a picnic pavilion that was designed specifically for um, slightly larger groups of people, which we know from our folks that are um, in the Latino community here, their family gatherings are often a little bit bigger. And so we wanted to be able to accommodate larger groups of folks as well. Um, so we were really able to do a lot of what our community had asked for. Um, obviously there were many things that the community suggested that we weren't able to do, like offer horseback rides or camping or mm -hmm. <laughs> um, any number of things that for many reasons did not align with what we knew we could do on the environment without adversely impacting the landscape or the wildlife. And that was really important to us as well. So we have a very small built product that includes two changing rooms and a family changing room and a small snack shack, which Emily, you might remember what you used to get at the snack shack, but that was something that we heard over and over again in our community engagement was the ability to have an ice cream um, bar or um, you know, a, nowadays a cold pressed fresh juice or a coconut water. <laughs> of course you have um, cold pressed fresh juice. That's amazing. <laughs> is also important. And so it is. It's we tasty and healthy. accommodate those mm -hmm. things as well. Yeah, because I do think, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this episode, because I feel like, especially our, our general kind of like malaise about 2020, um, you know, there are some really good things going back. And I, and I really, it, it worries me that, you know, our, our, our traditional venues for community have been so far far and few between during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so this is exactly why I wanted to have you on to talk about how, you know, water is not just a thing we need to think about in terms of providing a set number of taps or a set water quality sure. perspective, but like it is integral to our quality of life. And so, um, I completely agree with you that, you know, this was a special place and is a special place now. And it's because it's because it brings people together and, and water does exactly. that. It brings people together. 
Um, One of the things that we learned a lot and heard over and over again was that Astoria was the great equalizer in our community. So it was the place where ranchers and billionaires and ski bums and river rats all came together. And um, there was actually a study done in Iceland a few years ago where they, in Iceland, they have hot springs in almost every town. It's almost like their town square. And they did a study that helped us understand that because when you're sitting in hot springs, it's a fairly close and, and in, informally intimate environment. Like you're in, a, you're in a bathing suit, you're not on your cell phone. Um, it really does encourage people to connect with one another. And that's been a really amazing thing to see since we've opened in early September is the number of people that have been in the pools that don't know each other and even from a socially distant six feet away from one another are meeting one another and in our in our case in our community potentially crossing socioeconomic or cultural divides um, just by virtue of being in the same hot springs pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's just good for health because I would you also because didn't you do as part of your uh, development exploratory kind of like a deep dive into kind of hot springs in general like you mentioned Iceland is a great example um, didn't you also do some research about kind of like the the Japanese um, there's a word for it that I am the onsens yeah onsens yes mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing what going into this project, I was not, I was a hot springs enthusiast, but by, by far not an expert. And there is, there is an entire scientific world of people around the globe that are studying the benefits of hot springs and tracing the fact that most um, places where, where there are high concentrations of people living over a hundred years old, there's a hot springs close by and Um, In communities like Iceland, where there's darkness so much of the year, there's higher rates of happiness because of hot springs. So there is some um, growing scientific evidence of the health benefits of hot springs. Um, And for us, one of the things that we did is we actually looked at the specific minerals that we have in our hot springs. So every hot springs has slightly different mineral makeups and and our hot springs at Astoria have very high levels of magnesium and of a of a certain kind of sulfur. So not the kind that that makes you feel like you're in rotten egg soup, but um, a kind that doesn't have an adverse smell called free sulfur. And in conjunction, those two minerals have significant health benefits, whether it's Magnesium has been traced to helping ease pain of arthritis or chronic joint pain, and sulfur has been traced to benefiting people that have psoriasis or other skin conditions. And and together, they actually are a really important piece of detoxifying your your body. Um, And then, of course, the heat of the water also has health benefits like reducing blood pressure and Um, reducing levels of stress. And so when you look at all of the challenges that we've been faced with this year um, from a health standpoint, um, the ability to open up to our local residents this fall has been an important piece of our puzzle, not only because it is reconnecting the community after months of isolation, but it also has really tangible health benefits for our residents that we wanted to be able to provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think probably a much, much anticipated, anticipated um, relief. Can you talk a little bit though, Paige, you know, you, you um, it's quite, it's quite the 
quite the career change or not change but like <laughs> quite quite the variety of skills for yes. getting this project done from your fundraising how much money did you guys actually have to end up fundraising for this project so for our phase one development of the hot springs and the purchase of the 100 acre park we raised just over six million dollars and then, of course, Astoria Park Conservancy also has an annual operating budget that's about a quarter million dollars that we raise each year to, pe to be able to keep prices affordable for local residents and do community programming. Okay. So Ongo. And then one of the other skills that you probably didn't anticipate needing <laughs> is how to open a large enterprise in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. And so how did you guys go about, you know, having these kind of very laudable and very important goals of community access? Mm -hmm. How did you, uh, how did you approach that knowing that the community physically was going to be restricted and how they could get together? Yeah. So that I talk about it as, as a big curveball at the end of the ninth inning, you know, we were months away from opening when COVID hit. And I don't think there's a business in America that hasn't struggled with how to continue to operate or pivot in, in this new normal that we find ourselves in. And in some ways, I think we actually benefited from the fact that we weren't yet open and we were able to, you know, through the months of March and April and May, um, learn a lot from other facilities throughout the country, especially hot springs facilities, and um, do a lot of research about our local COVID um, best practices. And we created the best plan that we could, that we could, um, you know, with our with our nonprofit board and our local health experts. So. Our current approach to opening during COVID um, has included quite a number of restrictions. Our capacity is severely limited. So we ended up doing quite a lot of extra fundraising this year to be able to open because we weren't able to open at full capacity. We're also limiting our audience to only people that have a local ID, which has been really challenging and hard for people like you, Emily, who want to come back and, and visit the hot springs, but in a lot of ways has also been a great relief for our local community who, as, as we're finding in many mountain towns right now, have been totally overwhelmed with actually a higher number of tourists to deal with all summer in the midst of a very stressful situation. So I think it really has become this local retreat that has been really special. I, I can't tell you how many people have actually started crying because they're so excited to have this place that is just for locals right now, um, which is a pretty meaningful thing. Yeah. Um, it's been a busy, busy time. And I, I, I do know that like Park City is seeing extreme numbers as well, because I mean, mm -hmm. no one's flying anywhere. So they're getting their cars and driving. And so for those mountain right. resort towns are really experiencing peak, peak levels of tourism. Um, yeah, I think know? I heard that our, our national parks, Grand Teton National Park and Yellowstone have had record breaking years of attendance um, this year. So um and so in addition to that, we're requiring people to reserve spots in advance online and you do your whole check-in process online so you don't have to, um, there's no paper exchange when you get here. And we're requiring people to reserve soaks for just two and a half hour time slots. So while in the future, we're hopeful that people will come down and spend a full day down here right now, we're, we're offering a limited experience so that more people from our community can enjoy it. 
Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, from the responses I've gotten and seen, it seems like it's been a, a pretty wonderful reception, which is a great way to start things off. It has been. I've been totally overwhelmed with the positive reception that we've gotten. We've been sold out almost every weekend day, no matter the weather. And um, people, by and large, have just been really excited. I think that my favorite feedback that I continue to get is that it makes people feel like they're on vacation, which I feel like in today's age is a really, um, a really big vote of confidence. So (laughs) it's exciting. Yeah. Well, Paige, I think that's a great introduction for those who don't know Astoria, who might be excited about visiting you um, when, when conditions change a little bit. And it's such a cool project with its conservation elements and its community elements. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd want our listeners to know? Um, I would just encourage people, if you're interested in knowing more about what we're doing, you know, we are one of two nonprofit run hot springs in the entire country. So we're a different business model than most hot springs And our website is a wealth of information. So we have an entire section of our website dedicated to the cultural history of the park and an entire section dedicated to the ecology specifically of the park. And then of course, all sorts of fun information about how and when you can visit Astoria in the future. So please, please check that out. It's www.astoriapark.org. And yeah, I think that that's it. I just really appreciate the opportunity to come and and share more about our work with you. Yeah. And I'm going to put a plug in for you because your Instagram feed is amazing. And so (laughs) if you guys, if the listeners out here have Instagram and you're tired of scrolling through the same old pictures, they have a wonderful person who's doing their Instagram account that basically has these like moments of Zen that are just like one minute videos of the river, you know, or like one minute videos of, um, you know, grass is blowing <clears throat> blowing in the wind and I find it just to be mm-hmm. such a nice moment of reprieve to be like oh yeah I'm just going to take a second to kind of recenter myself and so I, I think that you've done a fantastic job on the project I think you've done a fantastic job of presenting it to people and just it's just very exciting and I'm very I'm proud of you Paige you've done good work <laughs> thank you Emily so much well we'll continue our moments of zen that's part of our virtual wellness programming that we'll be building on over the next couple of months so for sure, visit us on our social media channels to find out more. Great. Okay, Paige. Well, I hope you have a great day and um, hopefully we'll see you at Astoria. Thank you so much. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.